of our team will collect them as they slip out. I'm looking at a number of passages tonight. If you want, you can look at 1 Peter chapter 2 with me. It'll be up on the screen. You don't need to turn there, but you can look there um, if you'd like. Take your uh, book, and toward the back, there's a, a page that's called... Um, it's actually called, I hope this is the right one, it's called um, Faith in Action is what it's called. There's eight points in this one, right, David? There's eight things on this, make sure. Okay, it's Faith in Action. I forget what page it's on. Usually it's up there, but it's not. It's toward the back of your book, Faith in Action. Did you find it? What page is it on? What is it? 38. 38, okay, page 38, Faith in Action. I was in a meeting some time ago, and at the, at the end, we asked people to kind of write down what God's been saying to them. And a, a man wrote down a, a testimony, and, and his testimony said this. He said that the trials of life have, have a way of wearing a person down. He said that the questions are coming like, like God, are, are, are you really in this? Um, God, wh where are you? Yeah, have you ever noticed that the teacher is always quiet during the test? And that happens to us. God, 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 do you care? And, 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 and so on. And, and here's what he said. He said, I didn't hear anything these last days that I didn't already know. But, but life has attacked me, the shaking of my faith to the very core. I just couldn't get over the hump and back to faith, back to understanding. Your messages have so simply explained to me all that I've previously known. And then he summarized our entire time there in five statements. Just, just look at these. Because and, and, I've, I've looked at these statements, I thought this, if I could just live in these five realities, he said, here's what God has shown me. God is sovereign, faith is a journey, God is faithful, God is love, and God can be trusted. And I thought, man, if, if, if I could just live in that, if I could just live in the reality of the sovereignty of God, that I'm in a process, we haven't arrived, it's a journey, that God is always faithful even when I am not, that he is always loved because that's who he is, and that God can be trusted. If I could live in those truths and walk in those truths, it, it would change the way that I live. Now, on your page there someplace, out this side, I want you to take a moment and just write down the most difficult situation you're facing right now. It may just be a one-word name. It could be a phrase. But I want you, I want you to write down whatever, whatever currently in your life, you say, here's the most difficult thing I am facing right now. In my life. Just write, you're not going to hand this in. This is just for you. But I want you to write it down on that page next to you. It, it could be in the, the form of a personal suffering in your finances or job loss or bad investments or, or an accident you've been in or have been in or physical injuries or illnesses. It could be something in your family, in your kids, in a, in a handicap, or it could be a, a drug addiction, or an immorality that someone's fallen into, and fornication, or homosexuality. It could be in your mate, or pornography, or adultery, or a sibling. But whatever it is, whatever's the most difficult valley, the difficult thing you're facing right now, I want you to write it down there, just in a, in a word or a statement there on your page. I, I think that according to the Torah and the book of Proverbs, Job, when he um, looked at all the circumstances we talked about last night that took place in his life, his understanding at that point was of the Torah that, that the fact is that we are blessed because of righteousness. Proverbs kind of indicates the same thing. Job didn't have that. But because we're, we're blessed by righteousness and, and we suffer because of wickedness. And most of the time, that, that's how, how it works. But, but the book of Job provides a vital balance to that. It reminds us that things don't always work that way. Here was Job, the most righteous man on the face of the earth, as righteous as a human being could possibly be, and God had blessed him tremendously. 
And, and then Job, he believed that, that God was blessing him because of his righteousness. And, and then the system stopped working. And you know the story. He loses everything. And then for 28 chapters, his friends come along and they say to him, Job, you, you must have really messed up. You must have really sinned, really angered God. And, and Job said, no, you're suffering because of all that you've done. And Job said, no, I, I, I've done nothing. And they keep on insisting. And the longer the conversation goes in Job, the, the more they panic. I mean, here comes one man who can bring the, the whole system crashing down. If Job can suffer innocently, then so can they. And they were desperate to reassure themselves that it could never happen to them. But it can. You can go through a circumstance and a situation and, and, a, and a scenario that you, you don't have explanation for. We have um, six adult children. Our youngest daughter is, uh, is 21. And... Um, our two oldest sons are pastors. Our two youngest sons are uh, ministers at churches. Anna's a senior at Bible college. In the middle of our family, our third son is Josh. Josh went to Bible college and uh, was a, just a, a great kid growing up, very obedient child. Um, almost got married a couple times in that course and um, went off to uh, get a master's degree in musical theater. He um, is incredibly gifted, talented. In fact, is this Wednesday? On Monday, he opened on Broadway um, in a Broadway play. Um, Josh Groban is the star of it, and uh, Josh um, sings uh, in this play with Josh Groban. I mean, it's just uh, incredible. He's at the height of his career. He's incredibly gifted, talented. And um, about four years ago, four and a half years ago now, he... he um, had, had, had gone to Scotland to get a master's degree, lived in London, moved to New York. And um, he came to us four years ago, four and a half years ago, and said that he had found a new theology. You know, the, I, I, I read that um, Luther said the devil is a better theologian than any of us, but a devil still. And there's a lot of devilish theology in our culture today. You, you will find a theology to match your morality. You, you can find that. And in the culture of New York, he found a theology that said you can have Christ and a gay lifestyle. Now, Josh uh, said, I, I've gone to God, and um, God has told me, I've, there's, there's books an inch thick on uh, redefining uh, Scripture. Um, it's wrong, it's not biblical, but saying that homosexuality in the Scripture is only talking about perverse areas, and you can have a committed relationship with a member of the same sex as long as it's monogamous and so forth. It's, it's, it's wrong, but it's out there, and it's very predominant. And um, he came and said, uh, my pastor said it's okay, and uh, my church supports me, and um, I found a guy, we're gonna get married, and, and that was four and a half years ago. And, and um, our, our world fell apart. Um, I, we, we had known he had struggled with same-sex attraction, but, but he had lived on the victory side of that. It's not sin to be tempted to be involved in homosexuality, any more than it's sin to be tempted in adultery. Um, and, and he had been living on the victory side and, and, and claims to still be living there because he knows that sex prior to marriage is wrong. And so he still uh, has these uh, moorings of understanding of scripture, but he has found a theology, a wrong theology that he has embraced and has been encouraged by his culture, his church, and, and so forth. 
Anyway, there, there's been some, some good things happen. Um, he didn't end up being with this guy, and so he's not married, but he still, he still has embraced that theology. He hasn't embraced that lifestyle, but embraced that theology. Anyway, all that to say, um, for four and a half years, um, we've walked through uh, those waters, and um, it, it, is, it has not been a joyous time. I, I uh, frankly, um, when this all kind of uh, came out, um, I, I still don't really want to be here, frankly. Um, I just as soon not uh, be on the road. I just as soon not have to preach. I just as soon go uh, find a cabin up in the mountains someplace and not have to see people. Um, but that's not what God has asked me to do. Um, and, and so um, I'm, I'm in a process. I'm learning some things. I, I remember um, we were at um, the Southern Baptist Convention a few years ago, and uh, Rick Warren spoke. And um, those of you who know, he has a huge church out in California, I don't know, 20,000 people or something. And um, he spoke, and it, it, was, it was all right, but I'd, I'd never really heard him in person. And, and um, he wrote Purpose Driven Life and some things. And uh, it, it was okay, but it, it wasn't real profound. I mean, to me, I'd, he didn't, wasn't real impressed. But anyway, the next year, we were back, and, and he spoke again. And, and from the very first word, it was just like, he was a different person. I mean, I was enthralled in everything he said. And in between those two years, his teenage son had committed suicide. And he'd walked through that just six months earlier. And as a result of that, there was a, a freshness, a compassion, something about his life that just made him compelling. And, and, and God uses those things in our life. And, and we have not come through this. We're in a process. I don't, I don't know what you wrote down, but, but my, my word is just Joshua, that's our, that's, that's, that's his, that's our son. And I, I wanna tell you some things I'm learning, and Debbie and I are learning, we're, we're, we've, we're not through this, we're in the midst of it, but um, here's just for what it's worth. This, I'm just gonna give you various passages, some thoughts in the process God has us in. You don't have to turn, but if you want, there's a, there's a verse in, in, in 1 Peter, and here's the first thing, that suffering is not an option, it is a calling. Here's the, here's the verse, 1 Peter 2, uh, 20 says, what credit is there if, if when you sin and you're harshly treated, you endure with patience? So, so what, if you do something wrong and then you get the consequence of that and have a good attitude, so what? You had that coming. But he says, if when you do what is right and suffer patiently and endure it, this finds favor with God. And then there's a verse, there, there's a lot of verses in the Bible I don't really like because they're, they're just hard, right? And, and here's a verse I don't really like. It's verse 21. Here's what it says. You have been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving an example, you should follow in his steps. What does that verse say? That verse says God has called us to suffer. Now, now see, I don't, I don't really like that. God has called me to suffer. God, turn to the person next to you and say to them, God called you to suffer. Would you do that? Tell the person next to you, God called you to suffer. Some of us said that to her husband or wife. Turn the other side and say, God called you to suffer. Can you do that? So wait a minute, Steve, I'm not too sure about that. I, uh, I had a friend who used to travel with me and do what Jimmy does, um, teach on the family. And, and uh, I, I would say, in, in some message, I, I would say, I've never been called to preach. And, and, and what I meant by that is, you know, some people, they sit in a service and they say, you know, I was called to preach at 16 or at six or whatever. And I, I never sat in a service. I, mean, I sat in a lot of services where they gave invitations like this. Called to the mission field, called to preach, come forward. I, I, I never, 
I never walked an aisle to preach. I never walked an aisle to be a missionary. I went to, I went to three different Bible colleges in my career and heard lots of messages on this, but I never had that experience. I'm not saying that's wrong. My, my pastor growing up said, if you haven't been called, try volunteering. Well, so maybe you just need to volunteer. Some people have a Damascus Road, you know, go to Africa type thing. I never had that. Okay? You may have. That's, that's fine. But my, my, my point was I share that because I think some people are waiting for some great big, you know, experience, and we just need to jump in right where we're at. Well, anyway, my friend said you shouldn't tell people you haven't been called to preach. And so I did a study on, on, on the, the word in Scripture, and, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but, but here, here are the things we're called to in Scripture. We're called to fellowship. Called, don't write these down. This, this is another, you can look it up yourself. Called to freedom, called to worthy walk, called to hope, called to peace, called to suffer, and called to bless others. Now, have you ever know those, those little games where, you know, which one of these doesn't fit type thing? You look at this list and say, which one of those doesn't fit? Well, man, fellowship and freedom and a worthy walk and hope and peace and blessing, those are all great things. What is suffering doing there? It doesn't fit. But it's one thing, God has said, you are called to, God has called us to suffer. Ever been in a service where the invitation was, come forward if you wanna suffer? No, no. But we have, we have come forward if you wanna preach or go to the mission field, but here it is in black and white. God has called every single one of us, God has called us to suffer. And, and the problem is that we don't understand that, and so we resist the very thing God is using in our life. But we listen better when we're in pain. We listen better when those we love are in pain. And God shows up many times in the misery of our life. So, so embrace, first of all, the calling that God has called you to suffer. Okay, here's the second thing. These are just some truths I'm learning. Suffering is exaggerated by comparison. The reason that suffering in our life is, is, is so big is because we look and compare what others are going through. Now, now Paul told the core of the church, don't do that. He said, we dare not classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They're foolish. When you compare your life and your money and your house and your car and your vacation and your kids and your family, listen, you're a fool to do that. Now, Facebook, you know, I'm sure there's some good things about Facebook. Um, and and I, I have a Facebook account, and, and uh, it, it's fine. And, and uh, yeah, I look at it about once a day. I post one saying every day. That's about all I do. But anyway, it, it's, but here's the problem with Facebook. Facebook, when you look at Facebook, all you see is the best of people's lives. Facebook is like everybody's highlight reel. Here is their, their wedding, and here's their, you know, with their grandkids, and here they are in this beautiful beach and this beautiful mountain scene. I had some friends, and uh, they, they went to Europe on a vacation. And it was like, every day it was, okay, here we are in Paris, and here we are, you know, in Rome, and here we are in Greece. It's like, is that all they do? And what is the deal there, you know? And so Facebook becomes everyone else's highlight reel. And we compare our worst day with their best day, and we feel, man, I'm, I'm just, I got nothing. Man, my kids are a mess. My life's a mess. I don't have vacations. I don't have stuff like they have. And, and we look, and we, and we can go into great depression by, by living this wrong view. Don't you do not know what goes on behind another person's doors. You don't know what they're dealing with. We've learned to put our mask on and come in, put our smiles on, but, but you don't know. Two years ago, 2014, was a tough year for me. Our son was, was, was uh, at that point engaged to another guy, 
He had been on a national TV show with this guy, 20 million viewers. I'm, I'm, I'm walking through, my daughter had, had left for college, so we were kind of empty nesting it. My mom, in September of that year, had a hip replacement at the age of 86. A week later, it was infected. She went back in the hospital and died seven days later. Three months later, my dad, 86, was feeling bad, trying to adjust without his wife, drove to the drugstore to get a prescription filled, got in a car accident, two weeks later he died, within three, weeks, three months of each other. So, so, but but I'm, I'm going in and I'm sharing truth, I'm coming into churches just like yours, and, and, and no one is walking through the things I'm walking, I, I'm not gonna sit there and, and vomit that on people at that point. And, and, and the point is, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And when you compare yourself to other people's families, for, for years people looked at our family and they said, well, look at all those kids and they're all doing this. And, and I, we had walked through this thing with Josh as he had battled resisting this same-sex attraction throughout all of his, his 20s. And, 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 you know, believing God to protect and so forth and whatever. And, but but you, don't, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And you compare yourself to somebody else and all of a sudden you say, God, why me? I remember just last summer, or summer before last, I forget which one it was. Um, we, we, you know, if, if you're a parent and you have a child that's made wrong choices, I, I remember I, I've taught in the family since my kids were uh, you know, three years old. And I would say when my boys were young, I'd say, listen, I, I've told my wife, I cannot guarantee you that my kids, when they get older, are gonna make all right choices. I, I'm an adult, I don't make all right choices. Why would I think my kids are gonna make some foolish choices? I can't guarantee, I told my wife, I can't guarantee all my kids are gonna be saved. I, I, I wanna believe that, I'm gonna pray for that, but I can't guarantee that. And adult children make adult choices, and, and, and the parent is not responsible for the adult choices their children make. Now, you can go back and you can ask forgiveness, there are things you can do to, to help set them on the right course, and we wanna do that, but they're, gonna, they're their own agent before God, and, and, and yet, we still, as parents, carry the guilt of that. You, you know how most women spell mom, G-U-I-L-T, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and we live on that. And so this, Debbie was kind of going through a, a time where she was just, you know, again, beating herself up. You know, what could we have done differently? What could we have done wrong? And, and, and she said, look at, look at this show. Look at these kids, 19 and counting. 19, all perfect. I mean, and, and how, look, and then look at the, our situation. And, and a week later, this whole thing came out and they got taken off the TV show. And I'm not, I'm not judging them. I'm just saying, you, you can't look at the television image of a life and say, boy, I wish I had that life. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And when you compare yourself to someone else, some, there was a guy who used to say to me some years ago, he said, boy, Steve lives a charmed life. And, and he didn't know the things I was dealing with, the things, but all he saw was the external. And so, so don't compare yourself to someone else. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Here's the third thing. Suffering is God's tool. I said this last night. I, I believe suffering is the number one tool in the hands of God to perfect Christ-likeness in your life. Paul said this, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in, in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul realized that God used suffering like nothing else to conform him, to make him to the image of Christ. Listen, the Bible calls us living stones. And, and we're now in the quarry, and, and God is, is, is chipping away at the, the rough edges of our life, the pride, the stubbornness. He's trying to get us ready to fit into God's eternal kingdom. 
And the number one tool that God uses is suffering. When we come to church, we say, oh God, make me like Jesus, right? So you know what he does? He, 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 he takes a, a sledgehammer and he whacks on our life. Oh God, what was that all about? Well, you've got this big chunk of pride. And I had to deal with that. And sometimes the tools he uses are our children, or our husband, or our wife, or a pastor, or a boss. You know what we do? We get mad at the tools. Don't, don't get mad at the tools, and don't get mad at God for answering your prayer. That's, that's like praying for rain and complaining about the mud. You, you can't get mad about one and ha not have both of them. And when you say, make me like Jesus, the number one tool in the hands of God to make you in the image of Christ is suffering. So, so, so rather than running from that, see it for what it is, an answer to prayer, not, not the fun thing, but the, the right thing, the thing that, that we need. Suffering also, I, I believe, teaches us patience and builds our perseverance. If you've done any study of the great heroes of the past, you, you know uh, George Mueller was an incredible man of prayer. And, and, and this is a statement that he wrote down in one of his diaries. He said, God in the riches of his grace has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the selfsame hour and day in which they were offered. He wrote them down in a book. He said, there, there's one situation. He said, I've offered prayer for 36 years for the conversion of, of two men he'd been praying for. They, they remain unconverted, but I hope in God, I pray on, I look, yet I look for the answer. They're not converted, but they will be. He continued to pray for four more years after he wrote this, and then he died. He died never seeing the answer to this prayer. I, I, I look at our situation with Josh. I, I, I told Debbie when this whole thing happened like four years ago, I said, honey, it's gonna be a process. I mean, Josh, he's still, he's on the way up. I mean, he's at the apex. I mean, this is an incredibly um, um, big play on Broadway. It could win a bunch of Tony Awards. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible. And, and his, his path, his, his job, I mean, he's on the upper chart. He's not, he's not come to the pig pen yet. I said, it's probably gonna be a 10-year process. It's been four. I, I, I wanted to change yesterday, but, but I realized that there's a process and God's teaching me patience and, and perseverance. I don't like that. And I've, I've said it may be 10 years. I said, it may be after we're dead and gone, but we're gonna pray and believe, God, I believe God's gonna use Josh in an incredible way for his kingdom. It may be 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, maybe after I'm gone, I don't know. But I'm gonna pray on, we, we pray, we set our alarms at 10 o'clock every night, our, alarm, our phones go off and we stop, our whole family does, wherever they're at, and pray for Josh. And, and we're gonna do that until it changes. And, and George Mueller prayed for 40 years for these two men, he died, never saw the answer. One of those men was converted at his funeral, at Mueller's funeral, and the second man six months later. Mueller watched that from heaven, but never saw it here on earth. And, and, and we say, now God, you know, here's what you need to do, and do it right now, and if, and if God didn't answer right away, we get mad at God. God uses suffering to build our patience and to teach us perseverance. William Carey was a, a, an unbelievably poor example of a successful Christian from the world's view. He grew up in a, a poor home, of a cobbler, he, he wasn't even good enough to, to make the trade in that, so he tried a number of things. He tried running a school, that didn't go well. He tried being a pastor, the, the, his, his sermons were so boring they wouldn't even ordain him. He, he ended up having a, a difficult marriage, a child died at an early age, caused him to go bald because of the anxiety he was going through. He started a mission agency and he was the, the first one, to, he was the only one 
And so he, he set sail to, to, to try to um, uh, do some things, to do something for God. And he kept on, and, and he, so, so he forms this missionary uh, society. He goes to India, he, he, and he starts translating scripture. He, he translated scripture. At one time, at one point, he translated for 10 years, 10 years work, and there was a fire in the building where all the translation was, and he lost it all. Burn up. 10 years of work. There was no computer backup, no iCloud. 10 years gone. You know what I would have done? I would have gone home. Are you kidding, God? I worked for 10 years on those translations, and they're gone? Really? You know what he did? He started over. In his life, he translated the entire Bible into five different languages and portions of Scripture into 29 other languages. At his death, he had translated all of the Bible or portions of the Bible into the language of one-third of the world population. That's incredible. At the end of his life, someone wanted to write the story of his life, and here's what he said. If one should think it worth his while to write my life, I will give you the criteria by which you may judge of its correctness. He said, if he gives me credit for being a plotter, he'll describe me justly. Anything beyond this is too much. I can plod. I can persevere in a definite pursuit. To this I owe everything. And, and what an example. And suffering taught him perseverance. And, and God uses that in our life. Patience, perseverance. It's what we wanted yesterday, right? But, but, but it's a process that God takes us in. And suffering teaches that. Here's something else. These are just random things I'm learning about suffering for what they're worth. Suffering leaves unanswered questions. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of questions that I have, and, and someday God's going to answer them, but right now, they're not answered. Things like, when will this be over? How long do we have to go through this in this marriage, in this physical thing, in this financial thing, whatever it is? That things like, God, can God, you really be trusted in this? We, we ask ourselves that. And, and sometimes those questions are, are hard. Are, are why me? God, why, why, does it have to, why do I have to go through this? Why, why does this have to happen? Listen, Here's what I found in my life. I, I am confident about what's going to happen, about God's leading, not because I know the future. I'm confident because I know the past. We were in a meeting in um, Lynchburg, Virginia. And um, some of you remember some years ago at Virginia Tech, it was the, I think it was probably the first campus shooting um, years ago when there was a shooting on the campus of Virginia Tech and some of the students were killed and made national news and there's been many since then, but I think it was probably the first one. And, and, and not too long after that shooting on the campus, the, there was another news story a couple years later, some Virginia Tech students that kind of made national news, I think because of the Virginia Tech notoriety. Anyway, um, they had driven up the Appalachian Trail and, and um, in the parking lot there, they were brutally murdered in their car. There, there, was no, there was no motive, it was not a robbery, it was not sexual, it was just they never found a person, any, any evidence, any reason, rhyme, they were just, they were just murdered. And, and uh, we're at the church in, in, in um, Virginia where the parents both attended, where the kids, both of them grown up in the youth group there at this church, church about 1300. And on a Sunday morning, and we'd been there for a couple weeks, the youth pastor got up and he, he said, you know, um, I've been bitter at God. They'd grown up in his youth group. He said, they, they went off and uh, they, they were brutally killed. There's no reason. 
And I just said, God, if that's the way you're gonna be, and he said, for the last two years since this has happened, he said, I've, I've kind of shut God out of my life. He said, I've not been a good youth pastor. I've not been a good church member. I've not been a staff member that has been, God's been pleased with. And uh, he stood before the church and asked forgiveness for just the, the way he had been bitter at God for the last two years. A- after that service, somebody said to me, I was talking, they said, now, there's, the, there's the parents of one of the students. And I went over and I talked to the, the mother of one of the students that had been killed. And I said, um, how, how did you handle that? How did you deal with that? She said, Steve, it was the darkest days of our life. I never want to go through that again. But then she said something I'll never forget. She said, but you know what? It's okay. Because we have history with God. And I thought, you know what? I've got history with God. I've seen God do in my life and in my family in the past. I've seen him provide things. I've I've seen him answer prayer. I've got history with God. I've got a a book that records the history of God's faithfulness and and who he is. And and so my confidence in his leading is, I know nothing about the future, but I know the past. I've seen that God is trustworthy. And because I have history with God, I can handle what God's taking me through today. And and you need to look back and say, God, I believe you're sovereign, and I've watched you. I've seen that history. And as a result of that, I I do trust you, even though I can't explain or understand what what I'm living in now or what I seek. I I don't know what's going to happen, but I I know you can be trusted. I think the thing about the sovereignty of God we talked about last night, the thing I struggle with most is not having faith to believe that, that God can do anything. It's the, it's the realization that he won't do what I want him to do. I think the request that we pray and the request God denies is the greatest potential source of bitterness towards God. And, and God answers every prayer. It's not always with the answer we want. God, God has four answers to prayer. Yes, no, wait. I used to say three. That, that was it, yes, no, and wait. And then somebody said, there's a fourth one. Fourth answer to prayer, what God says. Yes, no, wait, and you've gotta be kidding. <laughs> I think a lot of times that's maybe what he says to me, you know, because I'm telling God what to do, right? But, but I'm confident in God's leading because I, I know what he's done in the past. And, and there's gonna be, and there's a lot of questions I don't have answered right now. And, and I've gotta be willing to say, God, I don't understand this, but I still trust you. And then suffering is about eternal reward. We won't turn, but in Hebrews 11, again, that passage, we looked at last night a little bit. Moses, you know, he chose rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, the pleasures of Egypt. He considered the approach of Christ greater riches. Because why? He was looking for a reward. His reward was not, he could have had every reward on earth. He could have been the, 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 the wealthiest person on the earth. But he let go of those things because he looked for a reward someplace else. We were in um, Dalton, Georgia, not too long ago. And there was a family in the church. Um, they had a son. He was 30 years old. He had Asperger's or some similar scenario. And um, he, he didn't talk. Um, he, he, he smiled. He, he made a little noise. Um, looked, he looked very young, but he was 30 years old. I, I went and talked to him. They, they always sat right over on this side. I went and talked to him one night. And, and they were telling me his story, and, and uh, he, he needed, you know, taken care of 24 hours a day. And, and he, loved, he loved the offering. When he'd come to church, that was his favorite thing. They'd give him a dollar, 
and he would just kind of be real nervous until the offering came so he could give his dollar. After he gave his dollar, then he could kind of relax. We kind of messed things up because we didn't pass offering plates, she told me. And so they had to go every night and find the love gift box and have to put a dollar in so he could relax to come to the service. He, she said the last church they were in, the, the, the pastor let him take the offering, let him be one of the ushers. He would take the plate and put it in front of everybody until they gave. She said, she said one time he put it in front of one of the deacons and the deacon said, Adrian, I, I don't have anything. Adrian wouldn't move. He had to borrow money from the guy next to him to, to, before, before Adrian would go to the next guy. It's a great way to take an offering. Anyway, um, uh, and, anyway and Adrian, he was, just, he was 30 years old, never, had never said a word. And, and, and she, she said, you know, Steve, um, he goes to school from about nine until one to just a place here in town that is, and, and he comes home at two and then I just watch the clock until five o'clock until my husband can come home and help me for the evening because he requires all that attention. But her spirit, her attitude was incredible. And I, 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 I said to her, I said, you know what? You are gonna, oh, she, she said this to me. She said, but we're praying. We're, we're, we've been praying for a long time that God, and I thought, what is, what is this mother who's, who's cared for this child 24-7, what is she so excited and praying for? She said, we're praying. We believe that one day he's going to say a word. That, that was her prayer. That he would just say one word, 30 years, they never heard a word. That was their prayer. And I, and I saw the compassion and the joy in her heart. I thought, you know, I said to her, you know what? You are going to be in the front row of heaven. I'm going to be so far back in the line. You're going to be the person that's going to have the front of the row because there's something. Her reward is not on this earth. She is living for another world. And, and, and some of us are, are looking for what can I get now? And, and her whole life was wrapped up in serving one person for 30 years. And, and, and we make reward about what I can get now. Let, let God define what blessing is. And then suffering requires a choice. We won't take the time to turn and go through this, but th this is just an outline of James 1. You can look through it sometimes. James says, my brethren, count all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trial of your faith worketh patience, and then patience, let it have its perfecting work, that you may be perfect and mature, lacking nothing. And so there's a process in James 1. He says you're to rejoice. In that process, you're to endure. The, the, the King James or your version may say the word patience there. That the word means this, to remain under the pressure of doing what is wrong and instead do what is right. So, so in the midst of the pressure of having a wrong response or lashing out or, or whatever, I'm gonna, I'm gonna endure, I'm gonna do what is right. And that process of endurance then, James says, produces maturity. I rejoice I endure under pressure, I'm maturing. And then verse 12 of James 1 says, knowing this, that the, the trial of your faith that has worked that enduring work, one day will let you receive the crown of life. So James 1, 1 through 12, here's the outline, rejoicing, enduring, maturing, crowning. Now here's the problem. You never see the crowning in the midst of the hurt. All you see is the hurt. But if you learn to rejoice, to choose to give thanks and endure in the midst of it, God will mature you and, mature, mature you, and one day you'll receive the crown of life. Now, that passage goes on a few verses later and tells the wrong response. The wrong response is to get bitter. Either you're going to rejoice that you're suffering or you're going to get bitter at God. And, and when you get bitter, 
The Bible says this, when lust has conceived, and lust, by the way, is not just a sexual thing. Lust is a consuming desire for anything. It can be a desire for revenge or for hatred or, or bitterness. But when, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That verse is the ultimate LSD trip. Lust, sin, and death. And, and so, so when you get bitter, then, then you're lusting over the other person's quote-unquote perfect family or, or their vacation on Facebook or, or how come they have a more easy life than you do. And we end up sinning then out of comparison and judgmental. And, and, and you say, I'm going I'm to kill that person? Well, maybe, but probably not. But, but it'll kill a relationship, kill your relationship with God. So every time you're in a difficult situation, you choose either to rejoice or get bitter. And many of us have chosen bitterness over the choice to rejoice. And then here's the, here's the last thing. And th this is kind of the most current thing that God's doing in, in Debbie's and in my life in relationship to this. Suffering deals with our pride. I, I, I know um, I've, I've struggled with pride all my life. We, we all deal on some level with that. And, and suffering is something that God uses to, to humble us. Humility is learned through broken hearts and broken roads. Here's where, where we're currently at. This is the most current thing God's teaching us. Number one is this, I can't change a life. I, 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 I pride, I, you know, I'm, I'm, when, when Josh told us of this new theology, so we started having all these conversations and I'm sending him books, he's sending me books, I'm sending him articles, he's sending me articles. And so we're, we're having all this debate and dialogue and whatever. And I, I realized I can't, well, I, that's how I learned this. I, uh, my youngest daughter, our only daughter, just got married two months ago. And um, her boyfriend, fiance, my birthday the year before, um, had got me some coffee. We like coffee. And, and he had a friend who started this kind of coffee company in his basement and, and uh, so he roasted it and stuff. And so he, he gave me a bag of these of coffee beans. And it, it wasn't a, you know, a brand there, so it didn't have a bunch of fancy writing on the package. It was just kind of a, a, a gold foil package. And, and so I was gonna you know, grind some of these beans. So I got this, this coffee bag out and uh, I tried to open it up. And, and normally they have these little folds and little tabs and, you know, you can open them up and then you can fold them up, keep it fresh. And well, it didn't have that. And, and so I'm, I'm trying to open this bag. I can't get it open. I'm thinking, man, this is silly. I, I, I'm not that weak. And, and uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of a slob in most things. But when it comes to opening boxes and things like that, I'm, I'm a, kind of a neat nick on that. I'm the guy that folds the Christmas paper up, you know, uh, that kind of, and, or, or cereal boxes. Like my kids open cereal boxes. They, they rip the top off. I'm like, ah, you know. So anyway, uh, so, so this coffee, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get this thing open. It won't open. And so I got a knife. I thought I'll just kind of maybe slit the top and try to get it. And I, the knife slipped and I put a big slit in the bag and so the beans started falling out. And I, I'm, I'm saying, this is so silly. Why didn't they make this so you could open it? And I'm, I'm holding the bag and beans are falling every place. I'm, I'm trying to pour it into the, uh, the, the coffee grinder. As I'm pouring it, I realized I'd opened the wrong end. And the other end had the tabs and folds and everything so easy. And, and I'm, I'm sitting here kind of in the midst of all this mess and, and, and here, here's, what, here's what God shows me. A person that is upside down is not going to change until God sets them right side up. And God showed me, Josh, Josh's life is upside down. His thinking is upside down. Evil companions corrupt good morals. He's been in, in, ingrained with a theology that is wrong, that is devilish, that is from the pit of hell. But, but that's where he's at. And he's, he's, he's upside down. 
And I can't change, and, and every child, every person has a, a switch in their heart. Only God can flip that switch. And you can't change a life. And so your prayer, our prayer for Josh, God, turn him right side up. He's upside down right now. His thinking is upside down. And you can't change someone who's upside down until God sets them right side up. And then the second thing that, that we're just learning is I don't have to fix every problem. I, I, I think this is more true of us as men, uh, fathers probably, but I'm, I'm a fixer. I, I'm, I'm, that's, that's, what do, that's what my life is. I come into church, I, 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 I counsel. My, my degree was in guidance and counseling. That, that's what I've done all my life. I try to fix things. And so here I've got a son who's upside down and, and I thought, I gotta fix this. It's my job. I'm the dad, I gotta fix this. And I realized about a year ago, I don't have to fix every problem. In fact, the truth is, if it's God's plan for me, it doesn't need fixing, it needs faith. And right now, I believe this season of my life, this is God's plan for me. To walk through this circumstance with my son. I, I have learned things, am learning things, still need to learn things. It's, it's teaching me some things about humility I don't wanna learn. It's, it's showing me I can't fix things. And the fact is, I don't have to fix it. And when, when I finally came to this and, and was able to take my hands off and say, I, I don't have to fix, he's broken, but listen, I've got some broken areas, I'm gonna let God take care of my circle. Right now, what I need is the faith to believe that this is God's will for me, and I have history with God, and I can trust him with that, and I don't have to fix everything. And here's one last thing. And, I'm, and, and I, I'm, I struggle with this, actually. But here's, here's the third thing that I'm just learning in recent days. I can't change a life. I don't have to fix every problem, but I can't quit. And, and the fact is, I don't really like that because I, I want to quit. I, I don't want to have to think about this. I don't, I don't like this issue. I don't like this struggle. I don't like um, this scenario. And um, I, I, don't, I don't frankly want to be here. I, I do not want to quit. And, and uh, I think I go through, as we all do, seasons of times, like the song that Darren sang, Worn, My Prayers Are Wearing Thin. Uh, I, I go through ebb and flow and up and down. And some time ago, I was um, going through a particularly down time. And uh, my son, Jeremiah, who's a pastor there, we, the, the, the value, the, one of the most uh, blessed things, this whole scenario, is it's really drawn the rest of our family. I, I have under my patriarchal canopy, I have, I, have, I have 26 people, and 25 are doing good, and then Josh is not. And, and my tendency is to focus so much on Josh, and I, I constantly have to go back and say, God, you've given me you know, 25 other people I'm responsible for. And, and the, the joy is that those 25 other people are uh, on the same page and praying for Josh. And anyway, I, I, I wrote Jeremiah an email, and I just... Um, I was just saying, just pray for me. I'm just kind of, um, you know, something had happened, I don't know. And you know, he'd posted something on Facebook or something. And it's just like, um, I was having a down day. And I just, I just, I just like quitting. And, and Jeremiah wrote me a, um, an email. And um, I, I, I try to read this periodically because um, I need to. So you can't quit, Dad. I'm watching. I'm watching what you're doing and what you're gonna say and how you're gonna respond. You've been my role model for 34 years and I'm still watching you.
can't quit, Dad. I need you to stay strong. I need to see how you finish strong when the hardest battle of your life comes at the end of the race. I need to see your passion for Christ and your love for the gospel grow as you walk this road. Dad, you can't quit. Quit, I'm watching. Dad, you can't quit. My kids are watching you. I need you to show my kids how to live for Jesus. They love their papa, and I want them to know that the greatest thing in your life is Christ. Someday they will fully understand this story. I need them to see Christ all through it. You're giving my kids a legacy. I need you to paint it clearly of Christ. You can't quit, Dad. My kids are watching. You can't quit, Dad. The gospel is on display. It's being destroyed and misused on one front, so you must show it more clearly. You must love when it's hard to love. You must stand for truth when lies take the form of truth. You must show how the gospel sustains us in hard times, how it proclaims mercy and grace in our deepest struggles. You must show how when you feel unworthy and weak that the gospel gives you hope and peace and a reason to keep fighting. You must paint the picture of the gospel more clearly than those who are blurring its beauty. You must continue to preach and to minister. God is not finished with you. You can't quit, Dad. The gospel is on display. You can't quit, Dad. We're all watching. You're the patriarch. You've led the charge for this family. You have a wife, children, daughter-in-laws, and grandchildren that are following you. We're behind you. We'll help you as you walk through this valley. We will stand together as a family, for that is what you've taught us. We will look to Christ, and he will sustain us. We will use this valley to encourage others who are walking through the same valley. We'll use this valley to proclaim Christ. You can't quit, Dad. We're all watching. Dad, I need you to finish strong. You can't quit. There's too much at stake. I love you. We all love you. Don't ever forget that. You can't quit. It's not an option, so stop saying it. We're in a battle, and this war is one of the toughest our families faced. We need you to lead us and show us how to follow Christ while in it. Dad, I hope you see you can't quit. <laughs>